Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hey friends, some very exciting news. I've got a new book coming out. It comes out in March, but copies are available now or very soon. It's called From the Left, A Life in the Crossfire. And just like it sounds, it's my story. All about uh, growing up in a small town in Delaware, how I ended up on national television from that little start, which took me through the seminary, studying for the priesthood to California, working for Jerry Brown, doing TV in L.A., coming back to Washington for CNN for Crossfire and the Spin Room on MSNBC with Pat Buchanan. It's been a great run, a lot of fun, met a lot of great people, had a lot of interesting experiences, and I wanted to share it all with you, tell that story. And we do hear Bill Press from the left, copies available right now. You can order a signed copy if you go to our website, BillPressShow.com. With a 40% discount, the book will cost you only sixteen seventy nine. BillPressShow.com. And the first 100 of you who order uh, from the left will also get a free signed copy of one of my earlier six books. You know, to sum it all up, uh, the great Henry Miller once said, so whether the world is going to pieces or not, whether you are on the side of the angels or the devil himself, take life for what it is. Have fun, spread joy, and confusion. I've tried to do that all of my life. This is the story of it. Bill Press from the left. Get your copy today. Go to BillPressShow.com. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yeah, we got a budget deal, but uh, whatever happened to the Dreamers? Forgot all about them, I guess. What do you say? Hello, everybody. It's Thursday, Thursday, February 8th. How about it? Great to see you today. Thank you so much for joining us here on The Bill Press Show. Yet again, a lot of noise, a lot of bad news out of the White House. It looks like the president's number one priority and the Pentagon's number one priority. Yeah, they're so broke. They need so much more money for the military. Uh, Yeah, we got to give them more money because now we know why. They need to have this big, giant military parade in honor of our dear leader, Donald Trump. Yes, if Kim Jong-un can do it. We can do it here in Washington, D.C. So says Donald Trump and the generals of the Pentagon, instead of saying, Mr. President, that is a stupid waste of time and money and doesn't do any us any credit whatsoever. They just salute and say, yes, Mr. President, we'll do whatever you want. How disgusting. Uh, we've got so much to talk about that. And, yep, got a budget deal in the Senate at any rate. Uh, Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer have agreed on a two-year plan to uh, raise spending considerably, both for defense and non-defense spending. 
uh, and does nothing at all about immigration, nothing at all about dreamers. How soon Democrats have forgotten what this is all about. But in the House, they have it, thanks to Nancy Pelosi. Oh, we'll just jump into all of that with your comments on Twitter. Send us your comments on all the news of the day, both the military parade, the budget deal, and beyond. On Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. All right, we jump right in, but first. This is the Full Court oh, Press. Oh, oh. Yes, all right, just a couple of other stories making news. Okay, so do you use emojis on your phone ever? Yeah. All right. All right. Well, there is a group called the Unicode. These are the same ones. There's so many. Sure. Yeah. There's. Well, they're about to be more. That's where oh, the story oh, is going. Oh. The group uh, Unicode Consortium. They oversee the emojis that are shared on various platforms, including the ones that you see. For example, on your I never iPhone. use the unicorn. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You don't have to if use. There the is unicorn. one. I don't know. I don't know. I think there is. But they are the ones that put together this whole big list, right? Especially uh-huh. the ones on the yeah. iPhone. Well, Senator Angus King lobbied them and pushed them and said, hey, there's not a lobster emoji. Oh. Right? He's from right. Maine. Yeah. And if you think about Maine's right. maybe biggest claim to fame, it's that they have there uh, should be. Yeah, the should. best lobsters in the country. Well, Which he said, do. he tweeted out yesterday, quote, great news for Maine. We're getting a lobster emoji. Thanks to Unicode, the group that puts them together, uh-huh. for recognizing the impact of this critical crustacean in Maine and across the country. He then signed it with two emojis, a cow and a crown. Angus, king, cow, Got it. crown. Got it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So okay. he lobbied them, and it turns out we're going to get a lobster emoji after all. By the way, it's hard to believe that we're going to read this story in 2018, but in Bermuda, their governor, John Rankin, yesterday signed legislation into law that repealed marriage equality. Which they adopted a year ago. In Bermuda, yeah. yeah they had yeah. made some strides to uh, recognize and allow marriage equality, but their governor said no more. They are getting rid of it. So this strips same-sex couples of the right to marry. And, of course, uh, they're, they're sort of hiding behind the fact that they have a domestic partnership benefit bill. But it's all kind of BS. This is just another way to... Uh, to disenfranchise. First of all, I mean, the fact that they did it, now they're undoing it, I mean, God. But um, uh, I didn't realize that Bermuda was such a nest of conservatism. But think about all the money they're going to lose. Exactly. You know that was a destination wedding for, it is, for couples, and gay and straight, Look, now I, only straight. I saw this story because a friend of mine uh, who's a gay man and married, he sent it a- around and he just said, not only are we never going to the Bermuda, to Bermuda again, but all of our allies should say, no, we're yeah. not going to Bermuda. Yeah. Which, yeah, absolutely. Don't go. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes and catch the highlights from every show. Yep, the big news is the government is not going to shut down today. Uh, But, of course, we won't do anything about the Dreamers yet once again. Hello, everybody. Happy Thursday, Thursday, February 8th. Great to see you today. It is the Bill Press Show, and you are part of it, and you are welcome to it. Thanks so much 
for joining us today as we head out from our studio on Capitol Hill and join you wherever you are in this great land of ours. Good to be with you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Good to see you on Free Speech TV today. Thank you so much for joining us. And great to join you out in the greater Chicago area. <sighs> that wind whipping off the lake this morning, man, I can feel it. Uh, it is certainly whipping around Washington, D.C., too. On the great WCPT in Chicago, hello, hello, and uh, throughout the state of Indiana on Indiana Talks. It is, again, the Bill Press Show. You are part of it, and we want to hear from you. Your comments on Twitter, send them in, uh, at BP Show, at BP Show. With all of our guests today, we've got a great line, uh, lots, lots to talk about, including the fact that, uh, yes, uh, Senate leaders have agreed on a plan to keep the governments open for, are you ready for this? Two whole years. Whoop-de-doo. We won't have to go through a uh, shutdown crisis every three weeks anymore, uh, at least for a couple of years. Uh, that's got to be voted on, but looks like that's in the cards. I'll tell you more about it. Uh, a lot of pro problems at the White House with one of the top staffers, the staff secretary of the White House, Rob Porter, uh, resigning, announcing his resignation yesterday. He'll still be around for a couple of days, maybe longer, uh, over charges of sex, not sexual assault, physical assault, domestic violence with photographs to prove it. Uh, yes, uh, General Mattis, Defense Secretary, admits that because Donald Trump wants to outdo the military parade he saw in France last year on July 14. He wants a bigger parade in Washington that the Pentagon, we were told yesterday, is actually planning one and putting one together. God knows how much that will cost. Uh, and Nancy Pelosi setting a record yesterday, probably the longest ever, ever speech given in, uh, you might call it a filibuster or whatever, but the longest ever speech given in the House of Representatives she shut down the House yesterday uh, and spoke for over eight hours. Uh, boy, talk about a lot to talk about today. Off we go, and let's start. Let me tell you, let's start with this parade, please, and look forward to your comments about the parade. Th this is the stupidest idea ever. I mean, look, it's only been a year. It seems like I know an eternity. But you got to admit, Donald Trump has had a lot of dumb ideas, a lot of dumb ideas in that short year, right? I mean, where do you start? Pulling out of the Paris Accords, hiring Michael Flynn, firing James Comey, um, giving out those fake news awards, stupid idea, shutting down the government about three weeks ago, right? Uh, building his stupid wall, all stupid ideas, all dumb ideas, but he, now here comes the, along the dumbest idea of all, which is this massive military parade down Pennsylvania Avenue from the Capitol to the White House, where, of course, they will have to pass by the Trump International Hotel. Of course. Of course, yes. And where Donald Trump will be in the reviewing stand like he is for the inaugural parade. It will all, all be all about him. And, of course, the White House is painting this of course that we need this to honor our military. Yeah. We don't need this to honor our military. You know what these praise and, and 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 also I mean I got to say don't blame the French. I mean it is true. 
He went to France at the invitation of Emmanuel Macron last year. I'll never forgive Macron for doing that. He stood alongside of Macron at the, on Bastille Day while the military is rolling down the Champs-Élysées. And Trump told reporters at the time, he turned around and he told reporters at the time, this is, what, it, it was one of the greatest parades I've ever seen. And then Trump added, we're going to have to try to top it. So once again, you know, it's got to be the biggest inaugural crowd ever. It's got to be the biggest crowd that ever watched the State of the Union speech. It's got to be the tallest building in New York. It's got to be the best president in the history of this country. It's got to be now the biggest freaking military parade that the country has ever seen. It is all about Donald Trump's ego. But there's a difference between what France is doing and what he's doing. France has been having a parade on Bastille Day, a military parade, since 1880. Every year. It's just, now, it, should they be doing it? No, I don't think so, because they're not a militaristic country. They're not a war-making country. Uh, but they started this after the fall of the Bastille and the turning of the French Revolution. So they've been doing it for added up, right? Uh, and so that's a tr an annual tradition with them. No, this is one big-time Donald Trump parade is what he wants. So this is not Emmanuel Macron. This is Vladimir Putin, who doesn't have a, a strong military, uh, as strong as he wants people to think. So he needs to show off all the tanks, show off all the rockets, show off all the fighter planes, get those military goose-stepping there. This is Vladimir Putin, and this is especially Kim Jong-un. This is exactly what Kim Jong-un says. And I'll say it again. Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un are the same person, I'm telling you. Bad hair. They're there because only because their daddy put them there. Uh, they're nuts, and they get their finger on the nuclear button. The only problem, the only difference is Donald Trump's button, as he's proud to tell us, is bigger yeah, right. than Kim Jong Un's button. And it works. And it works. You know, to your point about the insane. military parades insane. in in other countries, right? Like, I think I think a military parade is, for the most part, kind of grotesque, no matter who does it, right? But yeah, absolutely, but. France, England, lots of other countries, they've fought wars on their land, right? Like, mm -hmm. they had their people die on their land defending their country, right? Which is something that we, I mean, save for the Civil War. Right. Yeah. We really haven't had to do. No, we've been spared. We've been spared, luckily, right? And so, like, there's a difference between commemorating those that gave their lives on their land, to defend their land, and all of that, which, again, it's still a show of military might, which is, at the end of the day, a little grotesque. But there's a difference between that and just puffing up your chest to show what we can do if we want to do it. You know, they're, they're France, uh, 14 Juillet, the uh, Bastille Day Parade, is like our Independence Day Parade. It's, sure. like, it's their July 4th, and that's how they say And, they, again, we've been doing it since 1880. But this is this is entirely different. And by the way, we have had military parades in this country. At the end of World War One, we had a big one in New York to celebrate the Doughboys that came home from helping liberate uh, Western Europe. Rightfully so. We had one at the end of World War Two. Rightfully so to celebrate our GIs coming home. 
Uh, didn't have one after Vietnam because <clears throat> we didn't exactly win that war. Yeah. But so what would what war, what victory would this celebrate? Huh? If Donald Trump had it. What are we celebrating? Donald Trump's election? That's what he thinks. Yeah. Certainly um, not celebrating any of the wins in Afghanistan. Not celebrating Afghanistan, which is still going on 16 years later. Uh, hardly celebrating Iraq, which is still going on. Um, hardly celebrating, uh, you think ISIS is dead? No, it's not. Hardly celebrating Yemen? I mean, no. You know what this is celebrating? This is celebrating a guy who got five deferments for not serving in the military. That's what that. That's what this is all about. There's so many things wrong with it. Cadet bone spurs, remember? Yeah, yeah right. And, uh, you know, what it does, it sends, it would send this message that we're willing to spend any amount of money just to just to satisfy Donald Trump's ego. By the way, not to, but let's start with the money. Probably eight, ten. I mean, you, you got to ship these tanks here from somewhere. You got to get these planes here from somewhere. You got to get these big rockets here from somewhere. All of that, roll them down Pennsylvania Avenue. Think about it's mentioned in the Washington Post today how this will tear up these tanks rolling down Pennsylvania Avenue are going to tear up the blacktop. Who's going to fix that? This cash-strapped city of uh, of Washington D.C. But the message it sends is that we are a militaristic nation. We want war. We celebrate war. That's who we are all about, and we are not all about that. Our strength is in a lot more than, and always has been, than our military, and that's that's how we're known uh, around the world. We don't have to show off our military. Does anybody doubt that the United States has the biggest military, $700 billion a year we spend on the military? Do you think anybody in the world doubts who has the biggest army, the biggest navy, the biggest air force, more nuclear weapons than anybody else, more aircraft carriers or bombers or fighter planes or men and women in uniform? No, you have to, it's not something you have to show off about or you have to uh, to brag about. It's just sick, 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 and the idea of a sick man. And to me, the gen- that the generals just don't stand up and say, you know, Mr. President, uh, thank you. Thank you for wanting to honor us, but we don't really need that. Um, not to mention, okay, I, I, first of all, the, Donald Trump is going to make this a show of patriotism. You know it. you got to be for this parade or you're against the troops. Just like you have to applaud for the president, and if you don't, you're a traitor. Right. You are committing treason. Uh, you don't love your country. You're un-American. If you don't applaud at the State of the Union for the President of the United States, everything he says, everything he says. And if you don't, you watch. He's got this parade. And if you're against this parade, you're against the military. That's going to be their message. I forget who said patriotism is the last refuge of a scoundrel. Boy, that's exactly, exactly what it is. And you watch. And we heard some of it yesterday. Uh, Here are a couple of senators. Richard Shelby. Uh, from Alabama, of course. Yeah, what's wrong with a parade? That's probably good for the country, always, if we uh, parade our, our soldiers out, out whether it's Washington, D.C., or, or uh, Birmingham, Alabama, or New York City, 
we've had that in the past. Uh, uh, the timing, a good timing would be veterans. Oh, Day. yeah. Oh, yeah. This is good for the country. Oh, yeah, he says. Uh, ben Cardin, senator from Maryland, uh, said it a little better, I believe. Certainly agree with him. We understand that the men and women who serve in our military, that they're incredibly important to defending our freedom. We, we, we celebrate that. Uh, we do that by our actions. I don't think we need to display it by a parade. Yeah. But General Mattis, Defense Secretary, again, big disappointment to me yesterday, said, yeah, uh, the president says jump. We say uh, how high? We're all aware in this country uh, of the president's affection and respect for the military. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, we've mm-hmm. been uh, putting together some options. We'll send them up to the White House uh, for a decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember his affection for the military when he told the widow of the one soldier that died? He knew yeah. what he signed up for. He knew what he signed up for. And they for. got into a fight with a family friend who also happens to be a congresswoman. Uh, how, about crazy. how about attacking a gold star yeah. family? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. we know the affection he has for the military. Right, right, yeah. And how about his affection for the military when he did everything he can to duck his military service when he was uh, uh, of that of that age? No, it is just sick and sick. And by the way, so Senator Shelby is saying, let's do this on Veterans Day. You know what? Uh, I can think of ways to help the veterans. I think it's pretty clear what the veterans need. How about giving them health care, right? How about giving them um, a roof over their heads? You look at the homeless population in this country. Half of the homeless, at least, are veterans out on the streets, those who suffer from PTSD and whatever. I mean, you want to help the, you want to help the veterans? Spend that money on decent shelter for the for the uh, homeless veterans or decent benefits for the veterans or decent health care for the veterans don't waste it on a freaking parade down pennsylvania avenue so donald trump gets get his can get his rocks off watching the big rockets that's what it's all about so it's a big my penis is bigger than yours i'm telling you that's what it's all about so he wants a bigger rocket to display a bigger rocket than kim jong-un pardon the pun <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was, yeah. you know, the last military parade that we did was in '91, and the cost for that, they're saying, was twelve million dollars, mm-hmm. which we talked about this yesterday. That, seems a little low. That that is definitely a little seems low. a little you low. Know you know so it. So if so, if you adjusted just that number, right, twelve million, which we agree is is low, today's terms it would be about twenty two million dollars, right? Which I think honestly, you could probably multiply that by at least five. Right, you know, just because I, I, yeah, I, I just don't see how you do it for any, any cheaper than that. But imagine if they put that money to what you said, like services for our veterans. Imagine if they said, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna put twenty million dollars to try and actually like make something happen for our veterans, like that they can use and hold in their hands and say this was useful to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, imagine. Uh, you know, um, I, I can think of another way. I used Uber yesterday to go downtown, right? My Uber driver was a Marine, a Marine, an active duty Marine. And I said, what are you doing driving Uber? He said, you know, I I can't pay my bills by what I get in the military. Wow. Right. So he and his, he's moonlighting as an Uber driver. So pay them a decent salary. I mean, lots of ways. Don't spend the money on a parade that they don't need at any rate. Uh, Meanwhile, we got a budget deal. It looks like we got the makings of a budget deal. It was Chuck Schumer who made the announcement yesterday. He and Mitch McConnell have been working on this. Uh, and Chuck says, here it is. I'm pleased to announce 
that we have reached a two-year budget deal, to lift the spending caps for defense and urgent domestic priorities far above current spending levels. By the way, you know, just one other, um, <coughs> one other note on that. The military is, at, at one time, they're saying, we're broke, man. We can't keep up. We need more money. We need more money to, to, you know, to keep America strong. And so they're saying, and at the same day, they're saying, uh, we're going to blow $20, billion, $20 million on right. a parade. Yeah. I mean, there's a little, little, little contradiction here in their message. So um, what we know about this deal so far is, uh, and again, so the, it's a two-level two deal. The first thing they're going to do is they're going to keep the government going until March 23rd, basically at current levels. Then this two-year deal kicks in, assuming that they pass it. So this all has to be approved by the House and the Senate, this plan, but this is what's proposed. Uh, it would keep the government going for two years, as I understand it. Uh, it would raise the caps for significantly, about $300 billion, uh, $80 billion a year for the military, $60 billion a year for non-defense spending, domestic spending. Um so a little discrepancy there, but at least both are raised, unlike what the House tried to do last week, which is say, yeah, we're going to raise the military, gigantic, but we're just going to forget about all other programs. This, this, this budget deal does not do that. It would include disaster relief for uh, areas of this country that still need help, like Florida and Texas, but also for Puerto Rico, um, which I guess is part of this country. What am I saying? Uh, it's not a state, but should be. Uh, and it would include funding for community health centers. Notice, nothing on immigration, nothing on the Dreamers. In fact, they kind of have forgotten about the Dreamers in the Senate. I guess they figure that let's get this done, and then we'll get down to the Dreamers, which really does raise the question, are the Democrats giving up what is their, and I believe they are, their very best chance when they will have the most leverage to force the Congress to deal with the streamers and just get that done and set it aside. Certainly one Democrat who believes that very, very strongly uh, made her stand in the House yesterday. Uh, Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi went to the House about 10 o'clock yesterday morning, and she left about 6 o'clock plus last evening. Uh, the longest speech certainly in, I think, the, 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 the longest the one that might might the last record might have been 1909 it was it was 1909 but there are some people are saying it's even longer than that one because that one was interrupted you know they at a time when they could interrupt it and some of these senate filibusters you can yield the floor to somebody but you still have the floor in the house rules you cannot yield to anybody you have to stand you can't sit and by and, the way by the way she did it in high heels yesterday in high heels yeah. And you can't pee. You can't. There are no bathroom breaks. So she was standing on the floor for over eight hours. And a lot of it was reading stories that dreamers uh, and, and, and their, the stories of, of the suffering and the, and, and the humiliation and everything and the hardship that they've endured because of this program and the risks that they face. And she read these very, very moving stories. It was uh, a little after 6 o'clock last night when she finally yielded the floor 
to with the applause of her fellow Democrats in the House. Let us thank and acknowledge the Dreamers for their courage, their optimism, their hope, their inspiration to make America more American. Thank you, my colleagues. Yeah, well-deserved applause there for uh, heroic, uh, heroic action yesterday. Um, and, and meanwhile, at, on the on the house uh, in the in the in the house yesterday, while Nancy was speaking, the Democrats were having their retreat, so they were going back and forth from the retreat. Remember, which was going to be held over Cambridge, Maryland, but instead uh, was moved to the Capitol. And who showed up? But former Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, who got, of course, uh, <clears throat> some thoughts and some uh, encouragement. Joe in 2020. Hey, folks. Uh, no, 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 no. I tell you what, I tell you what, though, I have committed, and I mean it, I will, I, I spend on spending all the time any one of you want me to, making sure we win back the House. We have to win back. Not a joke. Not a joke. Was that you? Was that you in the background there? <laughs> run, Joe, run. Run, Joe, run. <laughs> Does it sound like me? <laughs> but I'll tell you, you don't have to encourage. I don't think you have to encourage Joe to run. I think uh, Joe is running in 2020, and he's going to start that by doing everything he can to uh, to help uh, House Democratic candidates and Senate Democratic candidates here in uh, in 2018. Our lineup of guests today, Paul Singer from USA Today will be uh, starting us off, Washington correspondent for USA Today. Uh, and then we'll be joined by Emma Roller, uh, senior reporter at, what is that, Splinter now? Splinter News. Splinter News. Splinter yes, News. Uh, followed by Mar- Marina, and then joined by Marina Corrin from The Atlantic, who is just coming back, just come back from Cape Canaveral. Uh, she was down there for the exciting SpaceX launch and is going to... Uh, uh, tell us all about it. Uh, before we take our little break here, let me uh, uh, tell you one more time about a great, great opportunity, and that is to get a copy of my latest book, a new book coming out uh, next month in March, From the Left, Life in the Crossfire. It is uh, all about my life so far, my life story, and how I became such a lefty, uh, coming out from, coming starting out in a very conservative family in a very conservative little town, uh, in Delaware, but it helped uh, that I went to California and uh, and veered left, and I'm and I'm proud of it. Uh, lo- lots of lots of stories here, in- including um, a lot about Bernie Sanders. You'll see a uh, quote on the front blurb from Bernie Sanders: "The tale of an engaged and often outraged citizen who loves his country." And wants to see it move forward in a progressive direction. Thank you, Bernie. Uh, and the story in here, the very last chapter, is all about uh, my support for Bernie in the, in the Democratic primary in 2016 and how I, Carol and I were able to play a little part in getting Bernie's campaign going with a couple of dinner meetings that we had uh, early, early on uh, with the senator uh, and his wife uh, at our house right here near our studio. So uh, check it out. And, and the great news is you can get this book through our website, BillPressShow.com, at a bargain, 40% off. That's sixteen seventy nine is what it will cost. And for the first 100 of you who order a book through our website, you'll also get a second book free, signed copy of one of my earlier books. Take your pick. There's six of them out there. 
I sent them everything I had on my shelves, uh, and uh, you will be the lucky winner of a uh, free, free one of those early books uh, by ordering an early copy, a uh, signed copy of From the Left, Life in the Crossfire. By the way, the other blurbs on the back on the left from Cenk Uger, because we're all part oh, yeah. of the Young Turks Network. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Nancy Pelosi. Governor Jerry Brown. She, she took some time out of uh, giving a record-breaking yeah. speech to write a little right. blurb for your book. That's nice. Governor Jerry Brown, Rosa DeLaro, Congresswoman Rosa DeLaro, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, Anderson Cooper, my good friend at CNN, and then even from the right, uh, praise for the book uh, from Tucker Carlson, Joe Scarborough, and would you believe it, Ann Coulter. All right. There it is. Get your copy, BillPressShow.com. Paul Singer coming up next on the Thursday edition of the Bill Press Show. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, how about it? Thursday, February 8th, it is the Bill Press Show, and here we are in Washington, D.C., in our studio on Capitol Hill. Brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and their international president, the one and only Leo Girard. The United Steelworkers, North America's, believe it or not, the largest industrial union, still representing now over 1.2 million active and retired members. Thank them for their support of the program and direct you to their website, usw.org. Find out more about their great work. Joining us in studio a Washington correspondent for USA Today. On top of all the news of the day, we needed some help. Nobody better than Paul Singer. Hello, Paul. Hello, Bill. I wish I was on top of the news. Sometimes I feel like I'm under the news. Uh, we're all buried by the news, <laughs> yeah, I think. Basically. Yeah, I want to get that microphone closer, closer to you. Uh, we have been at it for a little while here, uh, stirring up uh, um, some Twitter comments from uh, all across the country. Peter? Yes, indeed. Lots of comments on Twitter and in our chat room. Remember, we have our chat room at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Kingston says only donors to their campaigns get what they want from the sellouts on both sides. Talking about the budget deal. Uh, we are also uh, on Twitter, as you mentioned, at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, Rich says a military parade would cost millions if Donald Trump wants one. He and his buddy millionaires uh, can take the money they've made off of the Trump tax scam and they can pay for it, right? The big Trump tax. Uh, I had a lot of comments from that from friends yesterday saying, yeah, I, I if we have this parade, I don't want my tax dollars to go for it. Yeah. Uh, Mike says a national, national military parade should be reserved to honor the troops returning from a victorious war, not to honor a fool president who will wear a commander-in-chief uniform and require a salute as each troop passes the reviewing stand. Uh, not a bad comment there. Not a bad comment you know, there. You know they'll build that reviewing stand if they do this in front of the White House and Trump will be there. It'd be all about him. Yeah. Do, do you remember the last one? I was having breakfast at whatever that Cheryl's Diner was that used to be down here on Capitol Hill. It was an old diner with, like, you know, wooden uh, uh, booths and stuff. You've and been this, here a lot longer than I have. And I don't remember. And airplanes would, were, were, like, soaring oh, wow. over at, you know, 9 o'clock in the morning. Like, oh, what is that? <laughs> it was, I mean, I mean it was pretty dramatic. Uh, and one of the one of the quick comment on the budget from NC Nomad says this budget deal is horrific. Too much on the military. They're busting the budget to ultimately destroy Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. This budget gives more money to the military than Trump even asked for. These Democrats right. yes. are horrible. We need more progressives. If you have a comment, you can leave it for us on Twitter at BP Show at BP Show or in the chat room again YouTube.com/slash The Bill Press Show.
All right. So, Paul, tell us about this budget deal. I mean, we've been complaining about the fact that all they can do is kick the can down the road for three weeks, three weeks, four weeks, whatever. This would this will be, and they're going to do it anyhow, a yeah. fifth, the fifth. But the, so the budget deal following on its heels, what what's in it? First of all, just to find what's in it. Well, your, your last Twitter comment there is, is, I think, to the point, which is. The, the U.S. Congress solves its problems the way the U.S. Congress usually solves its problems, which is, I want $50 billion for defense, you want $40 billion for health care and social programs, and we can never figure out who can actually get their money, who can actually get their money. I want my 50 you want your 40 so we, we compromise. You get 80, I get 120. <laughs> like, I mean, that is how the yeah, U.S. Congress right. does its work. I'm like, oh, okay, everybody's happy. Um, so, yeah, what they did was basically just sat down and compromised. That is, everybody got everything they wanted. And they just threw it all in a pile and said, move on. Mm. Now, uh, back up. This well, is, everybody, they didn't get, certainly the dreamers didn't get what they wanted. No, 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 I'm talking right. money. Yeah, talking money. Yeah, yeah right. Just, this is just, this is just so, money. Community health care, disaster relief, the, uh, defense spending, and non-defense spending. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and all that right. stuff goes in there. Uh, and, and, and in fairness, this is all a result of a disaster uh, of leadership seven or eight years ago when they sat down to do a major deficit reduction package and couldn't. And, and, and they built in this stupid sequester triggers, which right. is like, this is a disastrous budget cut that nobody would want to have take effect, and therefore we'll fix it in ahead of time. And then they didn't. So it went into effect. And so for the past seven years, they've been struggling with these budget cuts that were sort of dumb. Yeah. That um, was back in the day when they said, we'll put a dark cloud over this operation. So bad. Yeah. So bad that nobody, it's unthinkable that That's the correct. Congress would fail to act by having this sort of Damocles fall on them. Well, guess what? They were they, that dumb. They and were that they dumb. let it fall. And so we've had these sequester cuts. Right. And it's right. basically like, you know, if you need to lay off 10% of your staff, what the sequester did essentially was go around and say, just everyone count to 10, number 10s, you're all gone, mm -hmm. without any kind of decision about where to actually make right. those cuts right. strategically. Um, so this is an attempt to sort of undo that mess. So you have to give them some credit for finally sitting down and saying, okay, Let's set these numbers where they probably should have been in the first place. Mm -hmm. But the other way to look at it, of course, if you are concerned about the deficit, is we just gave away $1.5 trillion uh, in a tax bill, and now we're going to give away an additional $300 billion in a spending bill. This is what we used to call stimulus in the old days, the thing that Democrats loved and Republicans hated. So let's see who votes for this thing today. Yeah. Well, the idea that, uh, I mean, uh, Repu Republican deficit hawks, like, don't exist anymore. Oh, they do. They do. I mean, the Freedom Caucus is irate about this thing. Um, and and for the... In think, the House. Yeah, in the yeah. House. And I think for the right philosophical reasons, right? I mean, whether you believe agree with their politics or not, the, the philosophically pure answer for a true uh, uh, fiscal conservative is that this is a catastrophically dumb idea. Um, now, if you are not a fiscal conservative and you believe that it is important to spend on these programs in the government, important to spend on the military, then you would support this 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 idea, which is why some of the Democrats are, are having such a hard time figuring out what to do. And by the way, I should have mentioned that uh, Donald Trump yesterday said, good deal, we need this deal, we'll pass this deal, and I'll sign it. 
Right. So. Oh, not only that, Donald Trump said, you know, if you don't sign this deal, you hate the military. Oh, I mean, his uh, his yeah. tweet was one of those, you know, this was the best thing ever. Go do it. Republicans and Democrats, get on board. It was not at all sort of soft peddling his support. Now, so I hate to raise a, uh, a sticky s- s- wicket here, yeah. but what happened What happened to the dreamers? I mean, Who? it was just, a, yeah, exactly. A couple of weeks ago where the Democrats were saying we're not going to approve any budget deal at all unless the dreamers are part of it or unless we have a clean dreamers bill. There was no talk about in the Senate yesterday, no talk at all. In the House, it, it was all dreamers because Nancy Pelosi dominated the House for the entire day. But it was all talk. But it was talk. Right. Exactly. And I mean, so what's and Mitch McConnell had promised a vote on an immigration bill when? We have a word for that in Washington. Screwed. Those people are screwed. Um, they got, I mean, th- in theory, uh, next week McConnell's going to let uh, uh, some sort of immigration bill on the floor. Uh, he says it won't matter what it is. He's going with no underlining text. That is to say, they're going to put a blank piece of paper on the floor and say, everybody vote. And if you get to 60 votes, we'll pass it. Whatever uh, it is. Yeah. And so he told everybody to draft up their amendments and get ready to go and, and put your thing together. And it could be actual legislating, which would well, be kind of fun to watch. Well, as bad as that is, Paul Ryan hasn't even agreed to have a debate on immigration. No. And and, and we had a story by which my colleague. Part, part of Nancy's point yesterday, right. which is at least open it up and let us debate and see where we come out. And Ryan said last week that, that or this week, I've lost track of the days. Uh, Ryan said this week that he won't put a bill on the floor unless it's one that the president will support. Uh, yeah, so, right. So my colleague Alan Gomez did a story about what the president will support on DACA. And he went back and he tracked where the president has been on the Dreamers over the past year and a half. All over the place. Everywhere. Yeah. I mean, to various points. Remember, there was the, the meeting in January where he said, basically, whatever you guys pass, I'll sign, which he then sort of backed away from. Um so it's not entirely clear what the president would support. So it's not entirely clear what Paul Ryan will put on the floor. Uh, Nancy Pelosi did this um, a pretty dramatic event yesterday that had no real legislative impact uh, uh, because now they're still going to have to pass these bills today. But certainly, ra- yeah. I mean, but it but raised the question good for her, of raised of, the question, brought attention, brought attention back to the issue. Saying you know, not you're an old lefty. These. You're used to protesting in the streets and having no impact. She did the same thing. She just did it in the House of Representatives. Yeah, and. Uh, as we just were, were talking, what could very well be the longest speech in the history of the House. And uh, certainly in heels. Yes, definitely in heels. And unlike in the Senate, nobody can interrupt. She cannot yield the floor to anybody else. She has to continue talking. She has to stand, cannot yeah. sit, and cannot take a bathroom break. And and I just have to say, you know, for a you minute, know, that, that she's 77 years old. Um, you know, my mother takes three tries at that age to get out of the sofa. Um, and, and Nancy, Nancy <laughs> yeah, Pelosi yeah, stood there and 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 delivered a speech um, and was and was lucid the entire time. And you have to at least admire the fact that she really this is where her heart is. This was not, you know, this was not just yapping. She she meant this. And, and I respect that. Yeah. But but I also know that she didn't get any legislative achievement out of it. But, you know, also the on the, on the issue of no good deed goes unpunished. Every time I hear that the dreamers are blaming the Democrats for the fact that nothing, yeah. that they don't have any legislation this year, what more could the Democrats, look at what Nancy did yesterday, what more could the Democrats do? Um, 
I don't know, short of setting the Capitol on fire. And yeah. I mean, you know, you want a bill, you need to be the majority. They're not in the majority. There's right. nothing they can do. Yeah. I mean, if you look at any vote on the Dreamers to the extent that there has or any debate, the Democrats are all on one side for and the Republicans are all on the other side. And then they blame the Dem- some some activists blame the Democrats. Right. Well, yeah, they didn't deliver, but they don't have the votes. That's right. I mean, it's as, it's as clear as that. So uh, do you think, that, of course, as always, as you pointed out, some of the members of the Freedom Caucus, it, it's by no means certain that this is going to happen, right? It's not certain it's going to happen, but I suspect most it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah, it's most likely. I mean, what, what happens is, is, and I don't want to get into deep process that bores people, but this is still just a six-week vote, right? I mean, this is still just a short-term spending March 20th, bill. March 23rd. To March 23rd. With a bunch of these budget numbers, the top-line numbers in it. Right. Um, what that means is that now we have six weeks to actually <laughs> write the year-long spending bill that meets those targets. So, so over the next six weeks, so there'll be... Plenty of opportunity to argue about what else should be in there, how that money should be apportioned. Can we, you know, so once it's sort again of a hold? Two step. We'll it's, keep it going yeah. to March twenty third. These are our goals that we kind of agreed to in principle, and then March twenty third, we'll have this vote on this two year thing. So we'll uh, we'll get beyond. By the way, That's one right. other thing included, and I forgot to mention, is raising the debt ceiling. Right for a year, for a year, which right. also has to happen. That's right. Now, I I don't think the wall is in this thing. I haven't been. I haven't actually read through the text. I think you're right. I don't think there's wall money in this short-term funding bill now. Presumably, when they get to spending money on uh, national security, et cetera, they will they will get to that topic. But, but the point only being that there will be more opportunities going forward to vote on more legislation and to argue for solutions for the dreamers. Um, but it ain't going to be today. Yeah. USA Today, USAToday.com. It is uh, Paul Singer here, Washington correspondent, in studio with us. Um, you know, Paul, um, we had a little change of program today. Our guest at uh, uh, at the top of the next hour was going to be Rob Porter, uh, the staff secretary from the White House. But uh, uh, yeah, yeah, Peter, didn't he cancel Rob Porter? I'm he, sorry to say, we we no longer have him. Oh, he, no um, he couldn't make it. Would have been a punchy episode. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, uh, this doesn't look good at the White House. I mean, for those who don't know the story yet, Rob Porter, staff secretary. It doesn't sound like much, but a very important job in the White House. He was the guy, the last guy that handed the papers to Donald Trump, to mm-hmm. the extent that Donald Trump ever read them. I mean, he was one of those names that I, I didn't recognize when I saw the alert. And then when I started seeing the footage, I was like, oh, it's that guy. Yeah, that guy. You hey, see him. He's, here he's all alongside the time. of Trump all the time. He's on Marine One all the time. He's on Air Force One all the time. Travels with the president. He is, he's the guy, right? Mm-hmm. And he was the guy who hands Trump everything that he's got to sign or read or whatever, and then takes it from him. So he saw everything. And uh, he is stepping down because two of two of his ex-wives came forward uh, to, as part of getting his national security clearance, right. told the FBI about domestic abuse. I mean, one of them with a photo of a black eye. And, and this is a... a you know, and the White House knew about right. this. This is the part where the the, the problem with uh, uh, this news story for the White House is it's not the crime; it's the cover up, right? It's it's the get your facts straight before you start talking. Um, and in this particular case, it looks like 
General Kelly, uh, the chief of staff, uh, came out a couple of days ago and said, I know Rob Porter. He's a great guy. This does not great represent, integrity. doesn't represent the guy I know. That was Tuesday night. Wednesday morning, he said the same thing. Yeah, and then he comes Full out with confidence, his, and then he comes out and returns the rent and says, "Well, he's quitting." But you know, I still kind of this is the guy yeah. I knew. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, so the facts start to get ahead of your statement, and you have to start cleaning it up. And as soon as you have to start doing that kind of cleanup, now we've got this problem. Well, what did you actually know about that? Hey, did you not know that the FBI was looking into the possibility that he had hit his wives? I mean, it's just sort of this whole. It's just dumb. These are the kind of self-inflicted wounds for an administration that are stupid. You could you could be on message. You can have a great win that they were about to have in the U.S. Senate. Uh, they can they can talk about keeping the government open. They can talk about getting billions of dollars for the military. And and they have handed their opponents this opportunity to yell for the next four days that they knowingly knowingly took on a wife abuser and protected him for months. And protected him for months. They knew months. They knew th- th- for a long time, and he was there in the White House with this important position. i got to say, the more we see and hear from John Kelly, yeah, I, I, I think the, the, the less good he looks. I mean, talk about clay feet. You know, this is really hard, hard to explain. And by the way... Um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders yesterday, too, uh, who was one of those who had defended him, um, saying that the president had full full confidence. Yeah. Robert. Bob has been an effective in his role as staff secretary, and the president and chief of staff have had full confidence and trust in his abilities and his performance. Mm-hmm. And by, he's not marching out the door, either. They said he's staying there to, for a smooth transition. <clears throat> yeah. You know, again, this is it's just... This is where you get yourself wrapped around the axles. They, yeah. And, and and you know, there is also, somebody said, what's the Midas touch? Someone said there's an opposite Midas touch with the Trump administration <laughs> is that people walk into the administration with these stellar reputations, John Kelly being one of those people with a tremendous reputation, broadly respected across uh, Washington, yeah. uh, a, a hero, a true American hero. Yeah. And, and now... You know, they they all walk out tarnished in some way. That uh, what did you do wrong? Who how you who are you hiding? Who are you protecting? It's just it's just amazing how this administration is grinding. You know, with Kelly, I think there are a lot of them self inflicted 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 wounds. I mean, he yeah. inserts himself into these stories, which I don't remember any other chief of staff doing. By the way, I don't remember Leon Panetta going up on the hill talking with reporters loosely, and so Kelly's. Calls the Dreamers lazy. People who didn't sign up for the Dreamers right. for lazy. Well, he know? was the one who called out Frederica Wilson, too, wasn't he? F- called out Frederica Wilson. Lied. Lied. Yeah. About what she had talked about in the speech in Florida. Right. Uh, so, you know, he, he he's getting himself in a lot of trouble. The other thing about Porter, he now is dating Hope Hicks, who's the communications director at the White House. And reportedly, Washington Post this morning, it's Hope Hicks who wrote John Kelly's statement Tuesday night praising her boyfriend as being a man of great integrity and great dignity and defending him. So it, it, it's, it's, I'm, I'm trying to cover a budget deal. I can't I can't cover romance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm not on the romance novel beat at this point. I, it's but you know what? Again, it's sort of classic Trump White House that every time they have maybe a little glimmer of something that was going in a good direction, something like Trump will say something. 
Trump will do something or something like this will happen that undercuts well, their entire And I have used as an excuse for them for, for a long time that they are amateurs. Um, and, and, they, and they're proudly uh, amateurs. Mm, the problem is Paul at Ryan some point, say, uh, you have to become professional at some point. You can't, you can't spend four years <laughs> being amateurs. You have to actually begin to grapple with these things, set up processes, and be professionals. What was that? Do you remember the Ryan? Uh, he said a lot of things. I'm but not, it was I'm, something like, you, you got to admit he's new to the job. Right. New to the so, job. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah new yeah. to the job. And it's true. I mean, in, in, yeah. in fairness to the whole group, you know, the Trump administration walking in the door was was as sort of backward and out of the woods as the Clinton administration was when they first arrived. Remember when the Arkansas yeah. Yeah. You know, hillbillies yeah. showed yeah. up in Washington and had no idea what they were doing, couldn't find the front door. Right. New to the job. I'll give him that. Last year. Right. Maybe. Yeah. But not this year. Sooner or later, you are no longer new. Right. And sooner or later, we realize there's not going to be any pivot because he's incapable of pivoting. Uh, is Donald Trump ever going to sit down with Robert Mueller? I have no idea. If I was his lawyers, I'd be terrified of such a thing. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've read Donald Trump depositions and he tends to wander around and, you know, his, you know, his sort of. Uh, uh, flexible relationship with the truth uh, becomes a problem in those in those contexts. Um, but on the other hand, we're back in this question, this legal question of he has a problem with precision. I think is that how Joe Biden put it yesterday? Something like yeah, that. Yeah. That, that, would, yeah, that, that, that would. It's be a bit of an understatement. That would be the case. Um, but 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 the other question, of course, is whether there actually is legal liability for the president in any of these cases anyway, because no one's really gotten to the point of figuring out whether you can actually charge a sitting president with a crime like a standalone crime like uh, obstruction of justice or perjury in this case in a in a Eric uh, Holder yesterday said that the special counsel could uh, but that again there's there's opinion on different sides I'm not a legal expert but beyond that before that there is the legal question about whether the president could refuse a subpoena from the special counsel I, I thought that had been again I'm not a lawyer either but I know that issue was raised with Bill Clinton, and I know right. the Supreme Court for Bill Clinton said, you've got to appear. That's you have right. to testify. Uh, and he did. And, but that was in a civil suit, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's a whole series of questions. And, and it, if, if it becomes a legal argument in front of the courts with Donald Trump trying to say, and Donald Trump's lawyers trying to say, I don't want to, I don't have to talk to you, go away. I don't have time. I don't think that's good for Trump right. and his image because Trump has said in several occasions, I can't wait to talk to the uh, right. special counsel. Right. I, I 100% want to be on the record. I'm, let's do it. Um, and I think most people accept the fact that Richard Nixon's statement, if the president does it, it's not illegal, is total BS. I mean, you, we are not that kind of a country. I we mean, spent generations mocking Richard Nixon for that quote. And also, like, to your point, I think that Trump is really good at getting out of a lot of things. But if, if he's now put himself <laughs> on the record as saying he wants to talk to Robert Mueller, and now he's saying he doesn't want to, be, and the reasoning is— Or his lawyers. Or his lawyers. And the reasoning is— because he's too much of a dumbass to just keep his mouth shut <laughs> and not say something that's going to incriminate himself, then, like, I don't think that's really a great selling point. I, can it I just, is also, by the way, the same argument that he's making in the still open sexual harassment case in New York State, yeah. where right. I'm too busy, I don't have time, you know. But keep in mind, I also want to say, you know, the the worst moments in the Reagan presidency was the video of Ronald Reagan sitting in a deposition saying, I, I don't recall, I, mm -hmm. I, I don't recall. You know, and the worst moments of the Clinton presidency are Clinton you know, saying that depends on the definition of the word is. You know, these things don't go well for presidents, period, 
full stop. And especially for a president like Donald Trump, who doesn't know the difference between the truth and, and it, a lie. It would be a unique challenge for him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, all right. Why doesn't the military stand up to Donald Trump and say, you know, Mr. President, we lo- thank you for all the uh, love and adoration you want to show us, but this military parade is a goofy mm-hmm. idea. Yeah. I mean, in, in the Pentagon, they've got to realize this is not... The- well, for starters, he's the commander-in-chief, so let's you know give him a certain amount of credit that he is the commander-in-chief of the armed forces. Um, second of all... Yeah, that's that's pretty shocking, but he is. He is. He is yes. the commander-in-chief of your armed forces. Yeah. He yeah. can send people to war. Yeah. Um, second of all... A monkey could do a better I, job. I will... That's your opinion. Um, I, I will say that... Um, for the military to have a parade in its honor is not necessarily an absurd thing. I mean, every Veterans Day we have, in fact, every Memorial Day we have parades. We have moments to honor the military. I am personally very grateful to people who are serving now in our defense. Uh, I don't see any reason why there's anything but sort of wrong with the concept. Yeah, we're not right? talking about the little Fourth of July parade. Right. We're, know, talking you know we're talking about rolling yeah. tanks up Pennsylvania yeah. Avenue, which yeah. kind of freaks me out because, uh, you know, I don't like tanks. <laughs> I do like them when they're in someone else's country. <laughs> rolling. Yeah. Um, so it's... It, do we have to show off? Our, does anybody doubt that well, more like, tanks than anybody else? The best quote of the day is else? the best quote of the day, as usual, is is uh, Senator Kennedy from Louisiana, who said something like, "You know, confidence is silent, uh, and insecurity is loud." Really? Yeah. Senator Kennedy from Well, good for him. Yeah. And 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 it is and it is true. It is true. It is confidence is silent. You walk softly and carry a big stick, or. Yeah. In the Trump case, you walk loudly and show everyone just how big your stick is. Right. And that's what it's all about. Yeah. You know, I've got a bigger rocket than Kim Jong-un does. This is Kim Jong-un all over again. I mean, we, we got... But can know. we get an ICBM on a on a crawler uh, uh, <laughs> truck to drive down Pennsylvania <laughs> Avenue? I'd, I'd watch that. I mean, I will say, if there was a military parade, I would watch it. <laughs> Same. Well, I've got to tell you. If you didn't, you would be un-American. Paul Singer, <laughs> great to see you. USAToday.com, Emirato joins us next. This I'm going to read this. I'm going to read this. Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing, if you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yep, roll them tanks down Pennsylvania Avenue. Let's see how many tanks we got, how many missiles we got, how many, you know, whatever. Big show of military strength. That's what Donald Trump wants, just like Kim Jong-un. Aren't they the same person? Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, February 8th. The Bill Press Show. Great to see you. With so much to uh, talk about, 
You know, we don't. We kind of lost track of the fact that uh, there is something called the Democratic memo, the demo memo, we call it, the rebuttal to the Republican memo that is at the White House, and Donald Trump has until tomorrow to decide whether or not he's going to release it. We haven't even talked about that. But we talked a lot about the military parade uh, that Donald Trump wants, and it looks like the Pentagon is determined to give him, and the Senate and Republican uh, Democratic Senate and Republican leaders announced yesterday that they have reached, believe it or not, a budget deal that's going to last for more than a couple of weeks. Oh, my God. Uh, so much news, uh, again, to help us get through it all. Our good friend Emma Roller from Splinter, Splinter News, joins us here in studio. Hi, Emma. Nice to see you. Good to see you. I love how you say that. Splinter. And, yeah, there it is. And, uh, you know, got to emphasize. And you've been, uh, you've been, I want, we want to talk about Missouri, mm-hmm. which big, big yeah. victory out there. Big victory uh, for Democrats. And, and, and a lot more. So we'll get into it all with your help uh, and your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Uh, with so much to talk about, we'll, take, we'll get right to it. But first... This is the full-court press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. So the transportation analytics company called NREX, they put out a list... Of the cities in the world that has the absolute worst traffic. So these oh. are around the world. What city has the worst traffic? Bombay. Whatever it's called now, Mumbai. Good guess. Emma, do you have a guess for the worst traffic in the world? In the world. I'll give you a hint. It's right here in the good old U.S. of A. Oh, really? Um, is it L.A.? It is L.A. Oh. Los Angeles is the most congested city in the world. It has the worst traffic in the world for the sixth consecutive year, by the way. They say that wow. motorists uh, are estimated to have spent 102 hours in L.A.'s freeways during their morning commute at the rush hour home in 2017. So the average commuter spent 102 hours in traffic in one year. That's that's L.A. That seems low, honestly, for L.A. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. <laughs> By the way, uh, they, it's just ahead of Moscow, which has the second worst in the world, and New York City, which has the third worst in the world. So if you're going to go to L.A., uh, two out of three are in this country. Two out of three are in this country. That says a lot, huh? Isn't that wild? So we talked about Adam Rippon, the uh, U.S. Olympic figure skater who is going to be skating for America in the Winter Olympics, which get underway tomorrow. He had some not-so-nice things to say about Mike Pence, since Mike Pence is going to be the guy uh, that's going to be the face of the American government over there. Well, Mike Pence apparently reached out to this figure skater and said he wants to meet with him. And Adam Rippon, to his credit, says, no thanks. I have no interest in meeting with him. Mike Pence read this interview uh, from January 17th where uh, Rippon criticized Pence and the staff. It's safe to say that Mike Pence has not exactly been a friend to the gay community. Mike Pence is a homophobe. I mean, this is yeah. a guy. Is this yes. a guy who signed the legislation that, that said uh, the bakers don't have to uh, bake cakes for gay couples, right? He's been a total opponent of same-sex marriage and gay rights in general. Well, when he was a radio host in Indiana, he advocated conversion therapy. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah, it's true. Oh, yeah. So what a hypocrite to send this thing to Rippin. I'm, I'm, Rippin has more important things, too, to yeah. be meeting with any politician. Yeah, exactly. He, and he just said, no, no thanks. No, yeah. I, I know yeah. who you are. I know who you've been for a long, long time. I, I have no desire to meet with you. I know who you are. I know what you stand for. Yeah. yeah. I have no desire to meet with you. So yeah. if you're looking for a hero to root for in the Winter Olympics, it's U.S. Olympic figure skater Adam Rippin. So go, Adam. <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. All right. Get your tickets to Washington for maybe around Veterans Day. The big military parade if Donald Trump has his way. Yeah, we got so much money. We can we can blow $25 million on a parade just to make Donald Trump feel good. <laughs> That's the way things are going around here in Washington these days. Hello, everybody. It is the Bill Press Show, and it's good to have you with us. On a Thursday, Thursday, February 8, 2018, as we come to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill, reaching you and joining you wherever you are in this great land of ours. Uh, And it's great to see you today uh, and join you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. How about it? Out in Chicago, WCPT, the progressive voice in Chicago. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining us. Hope you have a safe commute this morning. And... uh, uh, also on Free Speech TV, coast to coast, from Splinter, <laughs> uh, Emma Roller here uh, in the studio with us uh, with uh, to help us go through uh, the news of the day, some of the things we've already talked about and some that we haven't yet. Emma, it's good to see you. Great Thank to you. see you. Uh, it is true that we say this almost every day, you know, you get into one story, which is a big story, and then something else happens, which... We start, we move, and we talk about that, and other th- and things get lost normally that oh, we would sure. spend a lot of time on, yeah. like this Democratic memo. So the big battle last week, the Republicans voted to release the Devin Nunez, three and a half pages, which turned out to be kind of a dud, mm-hmm. uh, went to the White House, and Donald Trump said, absolutely, baby, you know, we want to get this thing out there, which they did. Then, just three days ago, again, how we've forgotten the House Intelligence Committee voted unanimously to release the Democratic memo, rebuttal, 10 pages, written by Adam Schiff, Mm -hmm. Congressman, ranking Democrat. It's down at the White House. What have we heard about it? Is the White House going to release it, or where is it? Um, I think I saw something on Twitter yesterday about this where I think John Kelly was asked the status and whether the president had read the Democratic memo, and he said something like, I don't think so. You know, it's very long. It's 10 pages long. (laughs) So take that as you will. For Donald Trump, 10 pages? It's like, you know, it's like uh, a Dostoevsky novel for him. No, we've been told, right, that, I mean, like for the briefing, Mm -hmm. anything that comes to Donald Trump, they said keep it to one page, Mm -hmm. like triple spaced and, you know, maybe not. 70 point font. Yes. Um, but what do you think? I mean, that's because apparently, and I haven't read it, none of us have, mm-hmm. that this memo just destroys, as if the Devin Nunez memo didn't destroy itself once they released it right. because it's really got nothing in it, doesn't prove anything, but that this Democratic memo, and Congressman Ted Lieu was here yesterday mm-hmm. from the House Judiciary Committee. 
he has read it, mm-hmm. and he said it's just devastating. And he t- he was telling us without revealing state secrets the main points of this memo. So it will, to the extent that Donald Trump's argument that this totally vindicates me mm-hmm. hasn't already been undercut, mm-hmm. this memo will destroy it. Right. So what's Donald Trump going to do? Well, so I'm, I'm very skeptical, obviously, of the Nunes memo because it was it's pretty transparently a political ploy by Nunes and his allies um, in Congress to discredit the FBI, which which can't sort of be understated. Look, like the FBI has its own troubled history as an organization, but the idea of a Republican congressman, you know, re- releasing um, this in you know House Intelligence Committee memo to undercut an ongoing FBI investigation seems a little unprecedented. Uh, and now with the Democratic response, I feel like no matter what the contents are in it, it's all just going to get lost in the morass. And anyone, anyone whose job isn't to follow news for a living, follow political news for a living, I feel like this stuff I can barely keep up with. I don't know how someone who has a normal job um, can keep up with this whole the Russia probe story because there are so many ins and outs and there's so much deliberate obfuscation on the part of people like Nunes trying to make it as complicated to follow as possible. Yeah, well, it's not just uh, one Republican congressman who's mm-hmm. declared war on the FBI. I mean, it's, right. the, it's, rep- a, it's, it's the president. Re- it's the Republican <laughs> president uh, of the United mm-hmm. States. And you're right. I mean, the FBI... Um, Usually, we're critical of it because they may exceed their law enforcement authority. But the defenders of the, I mean, but still, you'd have to admit the FBI's come a long way since the days of J. Edgar Hoover. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, they're yeah. much more responsible today, much more um, democratic today. Mm-hmm. So. It's just interesting to see Republicans and Trump and his allies and Sessions, especially, talk out one side of their mouth about law and order and how. You know, Republicans are the party of law and order and Democrats are are the lawless party and then turn around and say the FBI is, you know, the deep state is conspiring against the president to take him down. Right. Well, having the because the House Intelligence Committee did release it unanimously, um, I think the betting among Washington pundits is that the White House will reluctantly release it. It would be mm-hmm. hard for them to make a case why they should not. Mm-hmm. But I could see they could. Sarah Sanders, Sarah Huckabee Sanders could make something up. She would say. Oh, she can talk people in circles all day. C- credit to her. Right, right. You know, she'll she'll, I, she'll tie it to the military. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that, that right. a lot of pundits in D.C. feel convinced that he'll release it probably means that he's that not he going to release it. Right. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised somehow in the least if they came out and said, no, we're not going to release it. Somehow he'll tie it to the military and fake news. I mean, yeah. yeah. And that is a good point that the ju- increasingly the justification for everything from DACA uh, to, you know, to this, to the parade, everything is coming back to the military. Mm-hmm. And the implication from the White House is always if you are critical of the president, that means somehow that you are disrespecting... Against the troops. The troops. Right. You know, it's really... It, it, I, I think of this often, because you said something back when we were doing this show when George W. Bush was president. And George W. Bush, when at the end of his presidency, when he was so unpopular, 
you only saw him give speeches mm. in front of members of the military. Yeah. It's the only place he ever went, military basis, remember? And, and Richard Nixon, you said it was, the, it was the same thing. Like, towards the end of his presidency, the only group that he could go in front of and not get booed or run off the stage was in front of a military crowd. And I'm sort of sensing a theme here now, right? Because we've got most of the last Republican presidents <laughs> have this problem of hiding behind the military to cover up the fact that, like, they're just but, wildly unpopular. Yeah, I think there's more here. I think Donald Trump is not, not hiding behind him so much as he's using them as props. Uh, that's what this parade is all about. I'm surprised he has Rolling out yeah. the entire military to make him look good. Mm-hmm. And he will say... He he'll want to say, this is the biggest military parade in American history, meaning we have never loved the military more than we love them right Mm -hmm. now, meaning because of me, 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 (laughs) me, Donald Trump. But, yeah, wrapping himself in the flag. What worries me is that, you know, maybe it could work for some voters, I'm reluctant to say. Oh, it will work for his base, of course. Well, yes, But people who feel that, oh, maybe he has a point and, you know, I should I should respect the presidency um, and support the troops um, when those two things are are completely different. Don't be fooled. But to your point about the White House tying everything to the military, here's Huckabee, Sarah Huckabee Sanders yesterday talking about the budget deal. Okay, so she was asked at the briefing, you know, does the president support this deal that Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell came up with? And notice how she ties it right away. We've made clear that uh, the budget deal should uh, be a budget deal and that members of Congress, like Nancy Pelosi, should not hold our military hostage over uh, a separate issue. Right. Uh, The separate issue being hundreds of thousands of people who live in the United States and have known no other home. Right. Just a small other separate issue. Uh, Yeah, right. And by the way, any budget deal is not all only about the military, right? I mean, it, right. you could say the military's a separate deal. Mm-hmm. That's only one part of the budget. Mm-hmm. And she also said when Chuck Schumer announced this, this 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 deal yesterday that this is a credit to Donald Trump, uh, a credit to Donald Trump that we're doing this for the military. It's a, that yeah, that that's that's their also con- worth re- reiterating. And I wrote this a while ago. Um, this has nothing to do with the military. Um, a, but, uh, you know, a government shutdown would do nothing to impact military readiness. The Pentagon is not all of a sudden be- going to become destitute because Congress can't reach a deal on undocumented immigrants living, living, in, the, living in this country. No, they're not going to become destitute. They got so much money, they can afford the to spend $25 million on a parade. Yeah. But, but Peter, what were you saying that the the last one was 12 Million. Twelve million dollars is what they said it cost, which is we, we thought it was probably a little low. Like and, it probably and, was more than that. But if you adjust that, yeah, it would cost twenty-two million or twenty-four million. I think is what they said. Like just just if you just for uh, uh, inflation, right? right? right. Like that's what it would cost. And today. that was George H. W. Bush um, after the first Gulf War, uh, which lasted like. 43 days. It was a quick war. Quick, quick Thank war. God we got that settled and we never had to go back to Iraq again. Yeah, right. We never had to go back to Iraq or Afghanistan yeah. or anywhere there. I'm sorry, right. but I'm just noticing so, there's a political ad on MSNBC against Rod Rosenstein right now. That's something I've, I've seen. I've seen that. Though. It's a Tea Party Patriots ad. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Against. That's a new one. <laughs> yeah. It's they're covering for him. Well, you know they want to, yeah, and I'm I'm sure Trump is delighted with that because he wants oh, to sure. take Rosenstein down and, um, and and Robert Mueller and uh, anybody else. Anyone who's not a total lackey for him. By the way, I, not to just to bring yeah. it back really quickly to the military parade. You know, again with like the national anthem, the NFL players that were taking a knee. Oh. How quickly we turn that into a. You are against the troops if you yes. take any, yeah. which has nothing to do with the troops no. or no. the military no. or yeah. anything like that. But look at how quickly Trump and Pence and Republicans jumped out to say, oh, these guys are taking a knee. Are these sons of bitches who are taking a knee, as Donald Trump put it, are, are anti-military. Anti-military. Like it had right. nothing to do with it whatsoever. Said by and the guy with five deferments. It's, yeah. it's worth making clear the the implication there that you know, no member of the military in Trump and Pence's mind would ever be affected by racial profiling by police. And the implication of that is when Trump talks about the military and the troops, he's specifically talking about white troops. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Emma Rollo with us from Splinter, Splinter, uh, Splinter News, SplinterNews.com. Right. So um, a lot of other issues to to talk about. There was a special election in Missouri. Yeah. This week, which you've written about, which um, continues a very encouraging trend. So, yes. So Tuesday night, um, Missouri held a, a special election for four state legislative seats uh, that were all controlled by Republicans. Republicans maintained control of three of the seats. But the fourth one was even though Democrats did yeah. better in each of those races right, than right. than they have in the past. They right. increased the vote share in each of those districts by double digits, I think. Whoa. Uh, and then in the fourth district, um, a 27-year-old man named Mike Revis, I believe, uh, mm-hmm. who works for Anheuser-Busch in Missouri, uh, ran as a Democrat and won a district that had voted uh, for Trump in the 2016 election by a 28-point margin, I think. So Democrats flipped it and fl- flipped it big time. And, you know, people are taking this as a sign of encouragement, especially because there is such a dire need for Democrats to flip uh, state legislative seats. They've seen, they've seen, you know, 900 to 1,000 seats that were Democratic held go to Republicans over the course of the past eight years. and Un- Under Barack Obama. Uh, under Obama. When the Democratic Party was asleep at the switch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so this is the 35th seat that Democrats have flipped from Republican control in the past, since January 2017, since Trump became mm-hmm. president, um, which is an encouraging sign. That said, there's still a long, yeah, long right. way to go. Right. But the fact that since since he became president, thirty five seats is uh, is you know, it's um, it's a it's it's it, not nothing. It, it's part of a blue wave. No, it's a, you and, think? and it yes, and it also shows because it's Oklahoma, it's Iowa, mm-hmm. it's Missouri. You know, look, Doug Jones in Alabama, it's Washington mm-hmm. State. It's happening all over, mm-hmm. and it also shows, as you pointed out in your article, that and we've talked about here. Democrats are running candidates in every single district, even where people mm-hmm. said they didn't have a prayer. Okay, mm-hmm. so they're re- recruiting candidates at city council level, state legislative level, Congress, Senate, and uh, and it's paying off. Mm-hmm. It's paying off. Yeah. Look, look in Virginia, uh, how, how many seats they picked up mm-hmm. again. 
the last time around, there were a lot of those districts didn't have a race mm -hmm. because no Democrat stood up to run. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you're I not going to win if you don't have right. Yeah. That that's the takeaway from Missouri is you can't win with nobody with nobody in the race. And yeah. um, what we've seen is in a if you know a state legislative special election in Missouri in a red district can vote for a Democrat. You should be running candidates everywhere in the right. reddest of districts Absolutely. in the South. I it, think my worry is that some Democrats may have written off a lot of red districts because the data shows that right. they're course. unwinnable. No, no. always. That's what, always yeah. been the case. But yeah. we're, what we're seeing now is the data and what we've seen time and time again since November 2016 is that the data can be wrong. You're also seeing that Trump's base, Trump's support is eroding. Mm -hmm. Maybe not across the board, but... But when you give them a good alternative, mm -hmm. well, people starting to see through this guy. So, um, did, you've also, uh, in terms of uh, on the political front, um, we saw something very unusual this week. That usually at this time, like two years ahead of time, everybody from Bernie Sanders to Elizabeth Warren to Joe Biden, uh, who who talked about possible candidates for 2020, mm -hmm. they all give the political answer. No, no, no. I love my job now, and I'm just focusing on my job now, and I'm focusing from running for re-election. Mm -hmm. Julian Castro from Texas. Well, he's not constrained by a being a senator. A little different approach, right? Right. So, so this week, Julian Castro, who was HUD secretary uh, in the Obama administration and was mayor of San Antonio before that, said he would definitely be interested in running for president. I forget the the exact phrasing. But well, he, said, oh, he said he has every every interest or something. I have every interest mm -hmm. in running. Yeah, so that makes it's it pretty clear. Part of the process of figuring out whether I'm going to run is going to listen to folks and feel the temperature of the voters. He said that while he's on his way to New Hampshire, mm -hmm. right? So he said right up front, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I'd like to run. What is he doing now if he's if he's— Unclear his, to me. Um, his brothers in Congress. Yes, his Joaquin. brother Joaquin Castro. Their twin brothers um, grew up in San Antonio. Their mother was a big uh, political activist in the San Antonio area area when they were growing up, and they've both obviously gone into politics. And um, his brother Joaquin represents Texas in the House. How can you tell them apart? <laughs> Peter, you were in San Antonio. I was, yeah. I was in San Antonio when he was running for mayor. I actually left. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I, I left San Antonio uh, to come work for, for Bill. Mm -hmm. And the best Julian Castro story of all time is that when he was running for mayor, <clears throat> they had a big <laughs> river parade down on the river walk in San Antonio. And instead of floats on the street, they do barges, right? So it's just oh, these, these yeah. little boats float down the, the, the river. And... Julian Castro was there, waving to the crowd and saying hello and vote for me and running all this type of stuff, running for mayor of San Antonio. And the yeah. thing is, it turns out later, he had actually enlisted his brother, his twin brother, to go and oh, campaign right. for him as, as him. him on the barge. And one of the news stations there actually picked up on it and said, apparently they're, I mean, they are identical twins, but they're... There are ways to tell them apart. Mm -hmm. And one of the news stations picked it up and was like, hey, I'm not sure that this was you. And he had to come forward and say, like, yeah, you know what? 
I actually had my brother go out, go out and campaign as me. Oh my god, it's the greatest. And like he got a lot of grief for it, but you know what? I love the idea. I, I think, think it's pretty awesome. cool because listen, I was a candidate once. The, the any the first thing any candidate would love is to be able to buy locate. Have, yes, have a clone. Yes. Yeah. How many politicians have you heard say like, "I wish I could be in more than one place I at one time"? I could cover twice as many events. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Raise I've... twice as much money. <laughs> that feels Get a little twice shady as many to me. Votes. <laughs> but that that honestly seems like a plot out of like a Mary Kate and Ashley movie <laughs> <laughs> from the nineties. But you know, think about this though. Like, if I mean, we're obviously a long way away from, it, but if Julian Castro is president. I mean, his brother would have to have Secret Service protection, too, right? Because he couldn't just walk down the street. Everybody would think it was the president of the United States. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. you get It's a twofer. Oh, totally. Maybe his brother could run for vice president. It could be the <laughs> Castro, Squ- Castro Square. Castro yeah, right. Square. <laughs> but what I, what I get at in this piece is it's interesting that Castro obviously is—, is Throwing his name out into the yes, running right. theoretically so early on. But it also speaks to it's kind of the perfect complement to the Missouri story where it seems a lot of Democrats are still really unilaterally focused on the White House as sort of the be all end all for exact, you know, enacting their agenda. Right. Delivering transformative change, which obviously having control of the White House in Congress is very important to that. But also, you know. You do have to be paying attention to the governorships, which have, you know, gone to Republican control over the past 10 years, state legislative seats, every level. And I feel like a little of that gets lost. You know, the other thing about this, too, right, if you look at all the 2020 contenders, right, there are a lot of women running, Mm -hmm. uh, Elizabeth Warren. Um, Kirsten Gillibrand, they're, they're Af- yeah, yes, they're African Americans. Kamala Harris, uh, Cory Booker. Mm-hmm. Finally, there are some white guys that are going to be represented in Congress, right? Joe Biden and, and, <laughs> and like Bernie Sanders, and these guys that are talking about running. But like Hispanics, Julian Castro, I, I, I can't think of anybody else who's actually considering and being serious. Eric Garcetti, Eric Garcetti, yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. So like, they- although Garcetti's. I think he's a mix of Italian, Spanish. I'm not sure. About I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. But, mm-hmm. but like, that's an interesting angle to yeah, all that, this. Yeah, that's a good point. In the Trump era, I, Latino, Latina leadership is more crucial than ever. Totally. Just a quick footnote on that. I noticed this morning that uh, this is a big uh, governor's race in California this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the lieutenant governor, Gavin Newsom, has been the front runner. He's been ahead by uh, double digits, just about all, all along. Um, today, the latest poll shows that Antonio Villaraigosa, uh, they're both good friends of mine, Antonio, former mayor of Los Angeles, uh, whom I tried to hire once as my campaign manager. Really? Uh, when he was political director for the California, uh, for the Los Angeles Teachers Union. Um, Antonio is now two points behind Gavin Newsom. Mm. It's, it's basically a, a, a draw, 23-21. Um, so that's going to be a, a real horse race there in 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 California, mm-hmm. and again you've got Latino, former mayor of L.A. from L from Southern California, where all the votes are. Mm-hmm. Gavin Newsom, Lieutenant Governor, Northern California. Um, it's kind of like the NorCal SoCal yeah, divide. Yeah, very very much so. Mm-hmm. Um, Another thing that one of these other issues that we sort of lost track of and don't talk about anymore is the opioid crisis. 
I guess we don't talk about it because it's all resolved. Is that it? <laughs> you know, Trump took care of it, and yeah, now we don't have right. to worry about it anymore. Has he ever declared it a crisis? Um, he did declare a public health emergency, which is different from a state of emergency, <laughs> um, a couple months ago. But it was like a 10-day affair. It was really nothing. Um, and what we and saw— wasn't Chris was, Christie in charge of this at one time? Uh, I think at one point, but he he's not no. now. Um, so what are they doing? What's being done about the opioid crisis? Well, um, so even one of the members of Trump's own commission, which is a nonpartisan commission to address the opioid crisis, he said to a journalist, you know, what we're doing is a sham. Whoa. A member of Donald Trump's the commission, commission um, who is a Democrat, but he's also, you know, uh, an expert in this field. Uh, and, you know, he just came right out and said, this is a sham. The work we're doing is really not being taken seriously. And now I I think the latest news is that Kellyanne Conway, who you may remember, yes, was appointed yes. to <laughs> sort of oversee this whole project, <laughs> is trying to shift away from the nonpartisan commission toward a part more partisan makeup. Um, probably because the White House was not too pleased about She's kind of taken the lead on this thing. But but again, the bottom line is, so like what are the pharmaceutical companies doing to stop uh, the distribution, easy distribution of these drugs? Uh, well, I'm glad you asked that. The answer is not enough uh, to be polite about it. Uh, a story I wrote recently on Splinter was about how big pharma companies peddled 780 million opioids to West Virginia alone over the past Whoa. six years. Whoa. Wait, West Virginia alone? West Virginia. Oh, God. And they've got one of the worst. They Yeah, they have right. the worst overdose rate yeah. in the country. Um, oh, God. You know, you see this in states like Ohio. Um, ev every state, honestly, <laughs> ha has this problem. This is a national yeah. health problem. Epidemic, And we know where these drugs, I mean, we know where they're coming from, right? Right, right. It's not like, you know, what I write in this piece is it's, you know, the worst drug dealer you can imagine is not some shady guy in a trench coat hanging out on the street corner. It's a big pharma C-suite executive, you know, deciding to push literally millions of painkillers on small communities. I think one... 2,900 person town in West Virginia alone was receiving millions, you know, of painkillers getting pushed into the pharmacies there. And it's, you know, it becomes a no brainer. Like, of course, of course, there's abuses. And of course, people get hooked on these drugs when big pharma companies are absolutely flooding the markets with them and pushing them out in the way they are. And it's totally unethical in my mind. Yeah. Uh, and ironically, ignoring this crisis, this internal domestic crisis, but spending all of, uh, Donald Trump spending all of his attention on building a wall to keep mm -hmm. out the drug dealers <laughs> right. who are coming in from Mexico. Right. Yeah. The, the problem, I mean, yeah. Building on the narrative that Republicans are typically make really bad presidents, right? This is not unlike the whole Ronald Reagan AIDS epidemic. Just mm -hmm. ignore it, ignore it, ignore it, ignore it. And then all of a sudden you've got a full-blown problem that's touching everybody yeah. in some way right like you either like you know somebody who has dealt with this 
Well, and one of the few things that Trump has said to a try to address the opioid epidemic after becoming president is like basically just say no he said you know these drugs are really bad Mm -hmm. we need to you know tell people to just say no and how well did that work out last time yeah right i'm a rotter with us uh as a friend of bill for the entire hour from splinter splinter.com no splinternews.com uh, good news this week, exciting news with the launch of uh, Falcon Heavy from Cape Canaveral, just back from the Cape. Marina Corin from the Atlantic joins us, uh, our conversation here with all of you, uh, and we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. show. Uh, yeah, that's what it sounded like at uh, SpaceX headquarters uh, just outside of Los Angeles when uh, Falcon Heavy lifted off the pad down at uh, Cape Canaveral. A huge uh, success uh, from SpaceX and Elon Musk. Hello, everybody. It is a Thursday, February 8th. Good to see you. Uh, the Bill Press Show continues here from our studio in Washington, D.C., reaching you all across the great land, this great land of ours, coast to coast, with uh, Emma Roller from Splinter News here in the studio with us uh, as a friend to Bill the entire hour, uh, joined by Marina Corrin from The Atlantic, who is just back from uh, Cape Canaveral. We're all jealous. Hello, Marina. Nice to see you. <laughs> Good to see you. And Emma, welcome back. Yeah. Thank you. Before we jump into it, I uh, want to remind you about a great opportunity we've got, which is all about the release of my new book called From the Left, Life in the Crossfire. Uh, my story so far, uh, I've had a lot of fun, a lot of experiences, met a lot of great, great people, uh, and uh, tell you all about it in, in this book, which comes out next month. But... The important news is you can get uh, sign up for an advanced copy, signed copy, uh, right now if you go to BillPressShow.com. Got a great price for you, 40% off, so it's only $16.79 for a signed copy of From the Left. And for the first 100 of you who sign up, we will also you can also get a free copy of one of my earlier books. Um, I just emptied my shelf, had about 100 of them, sent them off. Uh, to the ma- uh, the mailing house, and they will send you a copy of From the Left signed, and one of the earlier books signed as well. Uh, you'll see one one big part of the book is all about Bernie Sanders and my support of Bernie Sanders mm-hmm. in the uh, 2016 campaign. Why I did it, how important I thought it was, um, whether Bernie would have won, were he the nominee. Uh, Bernie has a blurb right on the front cover of the book as well. Calling me, calling this the tale of an engaged and often outraged citizen who loves this country. That's, I'm proud of that uh, description. So get a copy of the book. Go to BillPressShow.com and sign up right now. Emma and Marina. So what was it like down there? Pretty exciting, huh? It was exciting, and it was also 80 degrees and sunny, so it was a little hard to come back to D.C. <laughs> Welcome back. This morning. Oh, yeah, thanks Welcome a lot. Welcome back to D.C. Yeah. yeah, I arrived at the airport in a tank top and was like, what do I do now? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was very exciting. This is 
the launch of the Falcon Heavy is a long time coming. Uh, Elon Musk, the founder and CEO of SpaceX, first unveiled the designs for this really impressive rocket in 2011. Um, and he did it in like a tiny conference room at the National Press Club in D.C. with like a few reporters and a couple of empty seats. So that like to now see it happen is just pretty wild. Because nobody at the time took him seriously, I guess. Right. No. And and back in 2011, the Falcon 9 um, SpaceX's smaller rocket wasn't flying as frequently. It wasn't still like, you know, very reliable. But at this point, it I mean, last year it launched um, 18 times, you know, whether that was commercial um, communications satellites, uh, national security payloads, even cargo to the International Space Station. Um, and so SpaceX is now accounting for most of the uh, of the launches that are being um you know, conducted from American soil. That's amazing. So uh, people basically, it's sort of like Uber, they call him when they want to ride <laughs> into outer space. Is that it? And a little bit. It's a bit more expensive. Yeah. Um, but they pay. Yeah. I mean, right? He contracts out to, to like, yes. to the to the government or to whomever. Yeah, right? NASA is one of SpaceX's biggest and most important customers. Uh, and the Falcon Heavy, um, should it become operational after this first successful flight, um, Musk says that each flight will cost about uh, $90 million, which is, it sounds like a lot. I see Emma's <laughs> eyes like getting wide, but it's actually pretty cheap when it comes to space flight. When it comes to lifting that much weight into orbit, that's not a bad price. Yeah, I mean, $90 million to put a car to orbit the earth in defiance of God's will <laughs> seems like a bargain. Mm, yeah, right. Seems like a bargain. But uh, here's my question, and I'm ignorant on this topic, but who is the intended clientele for SpaceX? Right. So for the Falcon 9 rockets, which are a little smaller, mm -hmm. it's um, private companies that want to put communication satellites into orbit, mm -hmm. like navigation satellites. Uh, when it comes to government customers, it's um, offices like the National Reconnaissance Office, like putting really top secret payloads into space. Mm. Um, and then NASA has also hired SpaceX to develop a transportation system to take uh, humans to the International Space Station someday. It's still working on that. Mm -hmm. um, for the Falcon Heavy, it's kind of... So there's so many rockets involved. Wait, wait, but short but of, I'm gonna... So short of SpaceX getting us to the space station... Or, uh, mm. How are they getting there now? Right. So the U.S. right now pays Russia to send its astronauts to space, <laughs> and they right. and they launch yeah. from Kazakhstan. Yeah. Okay. yeah. All right. Mm. right. Yeah. So lots of rockets involved. <laughs> Elon Musk is already thinking about his next big one, and that's the one he wants to use to carry humans to the moon. And Falcon Heavy is not going to be carrying any humans. So there's not much left for it besides payloads that are just too heavy for the Falcon 9 to handle. Mm -hmm. Didn't they have a massive blow-up explosion a couple of years ago? They had two. two. And this was a Falcon 9 rocket in 2015, <clears throat> excuse mm -hmm. me, and 2016. <laughs> and one actually um, occurred when they were just fueling up the rocket. So it, it damaged the launch pad pretty badly. Um, but, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's not a good track record. Like if you're comparing it to, for example, the airline industry, but well, I mean, just but also that. it's such a short period of time from those yeah, like yeah. huge accidents to but, where well, they if did you it. said they had nine launches, successful launches last year. Eighteen. Eight, Eighteen. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's well. That gets into the question of, of very good regulating because this is kind of like a wild west, right? Private a pri private space exploration. 
are there any like existing regulations that Elon Musk? I'm sure he had a lot to deal with when doing this project. Right. Yeah. There are lots of, you know, applications for all kinds of like permits to be able to fly certain things. But I mean, NASA is like pretty much bankrolling um, SpaceX in at least the crew transportation program. Like NASA did not pay for the Falcon Heavy. Um, But uh, NASA as a space agency that can't launch like humans into orbit right now knows that it has to depend on SpaceX. The thing that I found the most stunning about this whole launch was watching those two side booster rockets return side by side almost mm-hmm. right on that launching pad where they, you know, I mean, it was incredible, the precision of that. Mm-hmm. And the third one fell in the ocean because there was some little misfire, but, I mean, it wasn't totally <laughs> lost, right? No, but it was supposed to land on a barge oh, in the ocean. Yes. Oh, I see. It missed the mark it, and it, it hit m- the water at 300 miles per hour. Yeah, right. So, there, and, and the plan was never to recover that booster. Um, and what is incredible about those two side boosters landing yeah, side by yeah. side is that that's the first time that SpaceX has done this kind of complicated separation maneuver. So far, they've just had to launch one rocket and, and recover one booster. Right. And even that's complicated because it has to do a flip yeah. in the sky and change course and come back. And this yeah. time they did it with two in, in near perfect unison. And... I recommend almost, anyone who's listening to watch the, that video. Uh, yeah, it's almost at identical at the very same time. I mean, you know, yeah. they, they both came down and landed right there, right on target. It's mm-hmm. incredible, right? The technology. I don't, I don't know that NASA could do anything like that. Now, where? So, where's the Tesla? The Tesla right now. So this is this is tricky. I'm actually still trying to figure that out along with a couple of other astronomers. So the plan. So Elon Musk has been saying he wants to send this like beautiful cherry red Tesla to Mars. But what he meant by that is he wanted to put it in an orbit around the sun between the orbits of Earth and Mars. So basically, um, if the launch went well and it did, the so Tesla... Where is it? It's orbiting what right now? The but... sun. So it's in an, an elliptical orbit around the sun along How did with it get there that Earth fast? and Mars. Um, but it's moving pretty quickly, but it's not... So it's still pretty close to Earth. It's just eventually so it's it going to complete. can't be in an orbit around the sun. But we're oh, all in oh. orbit around the yeah. sun. I see. So it's okay. basically <laughs> coming along for the ride. <laughs> yeah, there's so that. it's orbiting the Earth and the sun at the same time? It's it's going along with the Earth and everything else around the sun. And then at some okay. points in that okay. orbit, it's going to approach the Earth. At some points, it's going to approach Mars. And now Elon Musk is saying at some points, it's going to go as far out as the asteroid belt. Oh, wow which is right between the orbits of Mars and Jupiter. Wow. So it seems as if the Tesla overshot its mark just a little bit. And Elon shared, Elon, I don't know, I'm calling first name basis. My buddy. Um, yeah, my my good friend Elon shared a graphic on Twitter showing like what the orbit would be. But it's kind of been confusing some astronomers who say like, okay, these numbers don't match up. So like mm. right now, like last night, I was like emailing with a, a couple of them being like, okay, what is the exact orbit going to be? Um, but it's safe to say that it's <laughs> going to approach Mars at least twice in about, you know, right, 19 so is months. It, uh, here's it. Is it the Tesla? Is it, it I don't know why I'm so intrigued by this. <laughs> Where's I the mean, Tesla, Marina? Is, is it inside the space capsule still? It, or so, is it just out there free floating in space? So that's not clear. And SpaceX, unfortunately, hasn't said much. Because there are pictures that much. could be fake pictures that show it like with the I Earth think it's out of the capsule of because there there has been a lot of terrific space porn. But some, I, somebody <laughs> told me, a scientist told me that they were fake pictures. See, that's what, I mean, really? they look fake because there's no, 
there's nothing in space to help you like orient yourself and so that's why the colors look so crisp and weird like there's mm-hmm. no like there's no perspective um spacex hasn't said if tesla has separated from what's called the upper stage which is that part that carried it into yeah. orbit but i don't think it has separated because like if you look at the live stream like the cameras have to be mounted somewhere and they don't look like they're mounted on the car right so i think they're mounted on yeah, yeah. On that, so bit that, of that they did yeah. you know that's just like a green shot like we used to have here you know in back <laughs> yeah, yeah, to yeah. look like it was in. so uh and is uh i mean the new york times just they said it's going to be in orbit for hundreds of years right I hundreds mean, of millions of years hundreds of millions of years yeah. So let me ask you. Let me ask you this, because like we've become more and more aware of space junk in recent years. Like, yeah, this is more space. Talk junk. about a fender bender. Hey now. Hey. <laughs> oh, I don't want to be a downer on this very cool thing, but like, is there a practical purpose for putting more space junk, as in a Tesla Roadster, into space? Yeah. I mean, there is no. There was never a practical purpose sure. for putting the Tesla in space, right? And and it is by definition space junk, but it's like let's say it does make it into the asteroid belt, like that is so huge, it's never really gonna like if it collides with something even like as big as like my or my fist, it's only gonna happen every couple million million years. Mm. Like it's gonna oh. get bombarded by a bunch of like tiny cosmic dust, but it's not. There's no risk for like a, a collision. Mm-hmm. Now, is the battery strong enough in this Tesla to keep David Bowie? Or- Singing for hundreds of millions of years. <laughs> the battery was supposed to die about 12 hours after launch. Oh. So it launched yesterday around 4 p.m. So no more music up there? No? No. It's just floating around in, in the void with everything else, lonely, including us. Lonely car. Yeah. <laughs> no Looking really out to. of place with a bunch of space rocks. Like, <laughs> yeah. This is like one of the shiniest things out there. I know. And, and yeah, I love how they did like an extra good wax job on this car before oh, they sent it to boy, space, it just in case <laughs> you yeah. need to like show it off. Yeah. They they went all out with just like prepping the car. Like they put a little Hot Wheels version of the Tesla on the dashboard, I believe. There's a little sign inside the car that says "Made um, on Earth by Humans." It also says "Don't <laughs> Panic." Oh yeah, right. right on mm-hmm. the, yeah, and the and the mannequin there with his hand on the steering wheel. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, this is all really cool and has, like, really captured the public's imagination, but I can't help but be kind of like a Grinch about it because it's so much money. And there's so many problems here on Earth that we need to solve. That's what they said about Christopher Columbus. Uh, (laughs) When he launched his Tesla into space, they were like, Chris, what are you doing? Oh, so much money trying to find a new land or something. What's wrong with the land we've got now, right? Just stay here. But, I mean, to to that point, right, like, I I hear what you're saying in the sense that, like, NASA spent a lot of money on on space exploration, but, like, we have so much uh, technology that we used on a day-to-day basis that came directly from that, right? Like from the space program, right. from the space program, Absolutely. right? Like seat belts, yeah. seat belts we didn't have mm-hmm. until they figured it out for the space program. Now every car has Tang. them. Yeah. Tang, Tang, uh, that's right, that's right. Yeah. And but so, like, uh, is there anything that's coming out of this other than just we're just checking it out? Right. Well, I, well, I think Emma makes a really good point, and I, I hear this a lot whenever I. Um, you know, talk on social media or share my stories about SpaceX, people will say, like, you know, we have bigger problems to worry about. And we certainly do. And I spend a lot of time worrying about those problems, too. And it's um, one thing I like to remind people about um, the work of SpaceX and and NASA is that, uh, like, if you want to look at it on a local level, like, it's 
uh, SpaceX is responsible for the livelihoods of a lot of people, and so is NASA. Like NASA has a ton of facilities around the country, and like those are all, you know, people who have jobs trying to build mm -hmm. stuff. Like in some ways, but, yeah. But to me, it's just that's who we are as a people. It, you've got to always be exploring the the new frontier, the next mm -hmm. frontier, and growing and moving, and that. And to me, that's that that is space. Right. And so, so yeah. but. Uh, but, so that's why I've always supported the space program. But so Elon Musk, I heard him the other day. I mean, he said his ultimate, and you, you alluded to this, the ultimate goal here is to have humans living on the moon and on Mars. Mm -hmm. I mean, what? how close are we to putting people back on the moon, moon or putting the first people on Mars? I would say not. Not close. Oh. <laughs> Not close. Damn. So, <laughs> Unpack your bag, Bill. Yeah. Oh, man, I, was, I was wondering about so next go year's family ready trip. To go yeah, right. This year was the Galapagos. Next year could be. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, not close. Uh, so the, the Obama administration set a deadline for getting Americans to Mars to the mid-2030s, um, which was. That a, seems really soon. It does seem really soon. It's 2018. Yeah, um, yeah. And so for the time that Obama was in office, NASA was on this really public trajectory toward, like, getting people to Mars. And that was, like, the big tagline. Um, now with um, President Trump in office, he's kind of shifted the focus toward a return to the moon. So we were mm -hmm. always going to go back to the moon, but it was going to be more like a pit stop on the way to Mars. Like uh -huh. We were going to test a bunch of systems and other things in order to get to Mars. And um, President Trump, Vice President Pence, they have just this outsized interest in the moon, and they want to make that more of a, a destination than just a quick pit stop. So, Do you think that's Newt Gingrich's influence? Because he's yeah, like a big right. moon colonies guy. I just wonder where that comes from, you know? I am, Yeah, I actually am surprised that he has not played a more um, public role in the administration mm -hmm. and in the National Space Council, which um, it was like, this long dead advisory council that uh, the Trump White House resurrected to just kind of like figure out what the country's space ambitions are. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder where Newt mm -hmm. has been. But I think it's more just like the they see potential in like the commercial um, development of the area between the Earth and the moon. What shape is NASA in today? Uh, well, I, I imagine they're a little bit jealous of what happened this week uh, because. Yeah. 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 They're not getting any credit. Like See, it's not SpaceX partnering yeah. with NASA. That's where my skepticism comes in. I love space, love the moon, love Mars, love it all. But my skepticism comes in when you're bringing, you know, we're talking about private companies with no necessarily no responsibility to the public apart from the bottom line. Right. Um, I know Elon Musk has his own perception of his public duty as, you know, this figurehead. But. It's a lot different. SpaceX is a lot different from NASA. And I feel like I worry about those two things getting conflated, I guess. Right. Yeah. And there, yeah. So NASA is working on their own rocket and it's going to be much bigger and much more powerful in terms of how much it can carry into orbit than the Falcon Heavy. Hmm. Um, and that's called the Space Launch System. And that probably won't fly until 2019, 2020. And hmm. A lot of there, it's facing a lot of criticism right now because this is an expendable rocket. There will not be, oh, right? Uh huh. Yeah, I mean, you saw those boosters return from the Falcon Heavy. Like reusability is Elon Musk's game. The space launch system, the SLS, is going to be expendable and it's going to cost a billion dollars per launch. Oof. Oof. So, yeah. So when you're looking at um, like the if 
if you want to make space flight a regular thing, it has to be cheap. You have to be able to afford multiple flights a year. Um, and $90, billion, uh, $90 million on a, a reusable rocket sounds better than a billion dollars on an expendable mm -hmm. rocket, mm -hmm. if you take those two comparisons. Uh, has Trump appointed an, an administrator? Do we have a head of NASA now? We do not. More than a year on, we, oh. uh, NASA is still without an official administrator. Well, that sort of says wow. something about what Donald Trump thinks about this as a priority, doesn't mm -hmm. it? Well, so Trump, uh, the White House did nominate um, Jim Bridenstein, uh, a congressman from Oklahoma, uh, in September. And um, he's had two confirmation hearings so far. But, um, the, yeah, he just hasn't been put up for a vote because um, Republicans are happy with him, obviously. They cite his uh, business experience. He, helped, he ran um, a space museum out in Tulsa. Uh, but Democrats are not happy with him um, for, you know, all the obvious reasons, but also because he has no science background. And he's not um, the last NASA administrator, Charlie Bolden, was an astronaut. So they're looking for someone like that. Hmm. Yeah. Who who's, knows the program? Do we know how he what his thoughts on climate change are? Yeah. So a couple other reasons why Democrats are <laughs> happy with him. Um, oh, yeah. In his confirmation hearings, they pointed out some some controversial things that Bridenstine has said about the transgender community and some of the protections that Obama put in place for um, uh, bathrooms uh, when he was in office and like who who can use that. Uh, and yeah, he's also said that he's not sure uh, that climate change is a human driven thing. But he he kind of did end up saying that in his confirmation hearing. Uh, he said that, you know, humans have contributed to climate change, but there are still uh, I think he said many factors to be looked at. So he's still hedging on that. All right. So one of my very favorite movies last year was Hidden Figures, wasn't it the name? Mm -hmm. of it? Yes, great movie. Unbelievable. Great movie. It was so good. Uh, is that is that tr truly reflect the way NASA was, and has it changed? I think I think it's definitely changed. But I think that was a very good reflection uh, of that and. Um, and we're constantly being reminded of what NASA used to be like. Uh, I think just two weeks ago, it was the 60th anniversary of Explorer 1, which was the first satellite mm -hmm. that the U.S. ever sent to space, a little after uh -huh. Sputnik. Um, <laughs> and the people that calculated the trajectory for that satellite were the female computers. You know, it was the same, it was the same case as, in, as was shown yeah. in Hidden Figures. But um, this time, yeah. it's, it's different. There are a lot more women in leadership. And, Who get uh, credit for their work. Hopefully, hopefully work, yeah. get recognized <laughs> and get credit for their work, uh, indeed. And speaking of two outstanding women journalists, thank you so much for coming <laughs> in. Uh, Emma, Emma from uh, Emma Roller from Splinter, and um, Marina Corin from The Atlantic, theatlantic.com and splinternews.com. That's it, folks. Don't forget to get your copy of From the Left. Have a great day, this and we'll see you tomorrow. This is The Bill Press Show.